1: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Editor-at-Large of Recode. You may know me as someone who has decided the internet is just too unsafe, which is why all future episodes of this podcast will only be available on vinyl and 8-track. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know around the tech and media industries. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is... Bruce Schneier, the well-known security researcher. I'm a big fan of him. He's a cryptographer and a writer. He's also a fellow at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at the Harvard Law School. He's also the author of several books, including Applied Cryptography and Liars and Outliers. And his most recent book, which is my favorite title of any book ever, Click Here to Kill Everybody. Security and Survival in a Hyper Connected World. Bruce, welcome to Recode Decode. Oh, thanks for having me. So I'm a huge fan of yours. This is an area I want to talk about a lot because I'm gonna go to your background in a second, but talk about what you're doing, public interest...
2: Technologist. Technologist.
1: Explain what that is. I want people to understand how important this is.
2: So, we're in a world where technology is fundamentally affecting society. Yes. We can talk about democracy, we can talk about uh, the market economy, we can talk about all sorts of social systems. And the people doing policy don't understand the technology. We had a senator when Mark... uh, uh, Zuckerberg mm-hmm. was uh, there for a hearing last summer who asked, how does Facebook make money? Mm-hmm. Which is you know, crazy on two levels. One, he didn't know, mm-hmm. and two, he didn't realize it was a stupid question. Mm-hmm. And we're expecting these people to make policy that governs tech, that governs us. And now there's this increasing... Knowledge that we need people to understand both tech and policy, right. policymakers who speak tech, techies who speak policy, people who speak both, and technologists need to get involved in public policy, or lousy public policy is going to be made. Or none at all. Or none at all. Now, mm-hmm. I don't mean techies should take over public policy. I think that'll be right. another disaster. Mm-hmm. But we need... This coming together of these two worlds, these two ways of thinking, these two ways of regulating, of governing, if we're going to solve the problems of the first half of this century. And I think of that as public interest technologists trying to get people from my world to either serve in government, serve on the press, doing tech driven journalism, work at NGOs, work for the government, maybe for the military or, or law enforcement, that doing tech in a more public-focused environment. It's not going to make the big bucks. It's not going to have the big glory, but it's how we're going to change society. It's not going to be through the next app.
1: All right. So we're going to talk about how to get there. So you call yourself a public interest technologist, which is something you've had a long history in lots of things, including uh, cybersecurity, all kinds of things. So let's talk a little bit about your background so people understand what kind of role you played. Go through sort of how you got to do because you've been to, you've worked at IBM you've sold several companies uh, you've done a lot of stuff that the typical technologist is the journey that many technologists like yourself have been on.
2: Yeah, although I'm really non-standard. Mm-hmm. I think of my career as an endless series of generalizations. You mm-hmm. mentioned my first book, Applied Cryptography, right. which was written in the early '90s, and it's basically a math and programming book, right. And that caught the wave of the public Internet and the need for security on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And after that, I write about computer security, network security, the general technology of security. or lack thereof. I've written about the uh, economics, psychology of security, the sociology of security. You mentioned a book of mine, Liars and Outliers, about Mm -hmm. trust in society. And really now the political science and policy of security. And here I am teaching at the Harvard Kennedy School. This is a public policy school, and I'm teaching Internet security policy. So here I am building out from the tech to society. Along the way, I did – I had two companies. One got sold to BT. One got sold to IBM. So I got to be in a large corporate environment for a few years until we all got tired of each other. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of consulting. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of speaking. Really, what I'm good at is explaining tech to Mm non-techs. And that term, public interest technologist, isn't mine. I think it came out of the Ford Foundation, Mm -hmm. trying to look at this bridge between tech and policymakers. I am not unique. I am one of a few, and, and there are a bunch of us that do tech and policy. What there really isn't is this career path. Right. Where there's a sort of a well-worn path that you can go to university and learn this and then get internships and then get jobs and increasingly... Because
1: technologies are often the secondary people in the room. Let's bring them in afterwards or before policy. But first, I want to get to your... You got interested in cryptography how? What was your path to that? Why did that interest you Uh, over a lot of things?
2: Cryptography was math and I was just a math kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of ironic that I I majored in physics in college, which is really mathematics, and I'm doing these things because I don't actually want to deal with people, (laughs) and then here I am throughout my career becoming more people, right? Economics, psychology, sociology, uh, policy. I'm really in the people side of technology Mm -hmm. where I started out very much as the anti-people side of technology, and I I think there's something we've all learned, at least I think the better technologists have, that technology doesn't stop at the keyboard and uh, screen that it goes to the person and to the people behind them that that we are affecting society and we're not just building programs or building apps we're building much more complex what we call socio-technical systems right and not understanding the sociology of it leads to some some pretty big disasters well
1: let's talk about wh- how that happens and th- th- you, you act on your own career you were you, you stu- the way you studied was typical of the way others studied or came up through which is that you make technology and the implications of it don't matter.
2: I think that's right. I think the, the idea is we're building tools. In the beginning, I think we were. Mm-hmm. We're building a word processor. We're building a, a drawing app. And what's written and what's drawn is, is not our purview. Mm-hmm. And, and you just think about the way we would write user interfaces. We would write commands and there'd be a user's manual. And it'll be your job to read the manual. It'll be your job to learn the programming language. Right. That, that there wasn't this real thought given to how it was used, or even the users were sort of laughed at, mm-hmm. right? The user can't figure it out, aren't they dumb? And the technologists felt that they were in charge, they're building the future. right? And it's common in technology to not understand how your technology is being used, and more than not care. To be really thrilled if someone finds a use for your technology you haven't envisioned. Mm-hmm. We built this tool and look at all the cool things it's doing. Right. We never thought of that.
1: And that's the opposite so of So why policy. is that? Why is that in technology training when you think about
2: that? I think it's a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I think it's the mindset that we're building the tool and then we give the tool to the world. Here's a hammer. Here's a hammer. And what you do it? you're going to build a cathedral. Isn't that amazing? I don't even know what a cathedral is. You're mm-hmm. going to build a cathedral. On the other hand, you know, you might build a tank, an artillery piece. Mm-hmm. You know, so here we are. I mean, today, we're making facial recognition technology. Mm-hmm. And you can use that to find relatives you didn't know existed. It also could be used to identify protesters in Hong Kong. So here we are building these technologies that are inherently have these wildly different uses. And I think by, thinking back to the, almost the nuclear age, mm-hmm. The notion that, you know, I'm building the missiles, where they come down is not my department, right? right? That's right. a very famous Harvard professor mm-hmm. and singer mm-hmm. who said that. And that, that is the way of thinking. I like to think that we're beyond that, but I don't, in a lot of ways we're not. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you started your career, you were focused on cybersecurity over the way these networks were created or Badly made, like badly architected, essentially in terms of how safe people were, because that was some of the early stuff you talked about. The idea of
2: it, I mean, cryptography was the first things I was working on, but very early on, uh, cryptography is intertwined with privacy. Right. And here we are in the mid '90s. EFF, Epic, are starting up. Right now, I'm a board member of EFF, Mm -hmm. and I've been involved with Epic since the beginning as well. So these are tools that are viewed as tools for privacy, tools for democracy, tools for giving individuals more power than they had over their governments over other powerful entities mm-hmm. so we very quickly in security saw the politics of what we were doing i think sooner mm-hmm. than a lot of other areas of, of computer science I'll explain that how so because it was you can't divorce security from who is security is from and who it's for mm-hmm. In a way, you can sort of divorce a word processor. It does italics. You know, right. we, have to think, we don't have to think <laughs> anymore. When you think about privacy, an encrypted telephone, mm-hmm. an encrypted message app, mm-hmm. very quickly, who is using it? How are they using it? And whether it works or not is more than does, do you see italics on the screen? Whether it works or not is did the person get privacy? Did he get security? Right. Right. Is he being arrested? Or not. Mm-hmm. So the real-world effects are much more visceral. Mm-hmm. And I think that gave us a preview into what we're seeing today with so many other technologies, Whatever. AI mm-hmm. and this, you know, automatic decision-making. The things we could all look now and say, man, you people are breaking society. You should watch out. Mm-hmm. And we sort of knew that early on.
1: Right. And so, when one of the things that you talked about, I want to start with a bunch of these topics, uh, facial recognition, cybersecurity. Talk a little bit about where we are with cybersecurity right now. How do you how do you look how people are looking at it? Obviously, there's been incursions everywhere. Uh, Google just announced that one, a big cybersecurity person called me and said, after this Google thing, there will be no cyber Security because of these computers they've created, and we have to have quantum cyber security.
2: Yeah,
1: and, um, talk, uh, talk to me about that. I love. I don't even know. I was okay. like, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. A lot I of a
2: lot of buzzers floating yes, around here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
1: got. So let's talk first about cybersecurity. I want to go talk about facial recognition. All, the whole bunch of them right now. So we we,
2: we tend to call it internet security. Cybersecurity is the military term, mm-hmm. and I think it's coming into our world. It Traditionally, is. we've called it internet security. Right, and. That is security of your computers, mm-hmm. of your network, of your data in the cloud. It's a much more personal way of thinking about it. Cybersecurity is more of a nation state way of thinking about it. And I tend to look from the person out. How are we doing? We're not doing great, mm-hmm. but we're not doing bad either. Right? <laughs> and most of us have our data in the cloud. Right. And, you know, honestly, Google's going to do a better job keeping your email safe than, than you would. So that's, that's a win for most of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are being spied on by pretty much every corporation out there, right? Surveillance, capitalism mm-hmm. is the business Sh- model of the Shoshana Internet. Right? Shoshana And, you know, that means these systems are designed for surveillance. Right. There's a, a, frizz, a joke you could think of that everyone wants you to have security except from them. Right. And that's true. I mean, Google will give you a lot of security as long as they can read everything. Mm-hmm. And everybody, Apple's the same way. Everybody's, everybody's the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are breaches everywhere. We hear a lot of them in the news. A lot of them just don't make the news because they're just another breach. So our data is not in our hands anymore. Now, we didn't do a terribly great job when they were in our hands. But if you think about it, your photos are on Flickr, your emails on, on cool. Google. And if there is a data breach at Marriott Hotels... Your personal data, including your credit card number, is stolen, and you had nothing to do with that. That was Marriott Hotels Mm -hmm. security. So there's a lot of of data out there being breached. On the whole, we're not doing great. We really aren't designing secure computers. We aren't designing secure phones. The Internet of Things is going to be a a dumpster fire because things are Mm -hmm. much cheaper. And those are also sensors about us. Mm -hmm. They're cameras. They're... Even the refrigerators are are, are mm-hmm. learning things about our, our habits, and these are all on the internet, and the data is all vulnerable. On the other hand, we're not seeing these cyber apocalypse disasters mm-hmm. that have been talked about.
1: What would that look like?
2: You know, I, I, I tend not to like to talk about mm-hmm. scare scenarios because they're just scary, but you can think of large-scale data breaches. I mean, we hear about our power grid being insecure, sure, and there hasn't been any real disasters. We, we've seen... A couple of attacks uh, by Russia against the Ukraine, but, but nothing else. We haven't seen cyber terrorism. I mean, we're really seeing cyber crime. We see stealing data theft. Stealing. Well, the data theft, but also uh, data hijacking, the ransomware against mm-hmm. lots of cities, lots of organizations. We often see it when it's a city or a hospital. Mm-hmm. We don't see it when it's a company. That's because right. they don't often make the news. Right? that is sort of burgeoning area of crime. So there's a lot of cybercrime out there. It's big business, very international, very hard to prosecute Mm -hmm. because it's so international. There's a story uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, ransomware, a couple of individuals in the Ukraine. Explain ransomware for me. So ransomware is when someone encrypts your computer and charges you to get your data back. It's actually very clever. If you think about your data, your photos, your email, the person who it's valuable to is you, and actually nobody else. So it makes no sense to steal it. What it makes sense for is to hide it from you and charge you to to get it back. And if someone encrypts your photos and they're important to your life, you'll probably pay a few hundred dollars to get them back, Mm -hmm. and there's the crime. Right. So there's a a couple of uh, ransomware perpetrators in the Ukraine, and they're randomly attacking systems. They happen to lock up the Washington, D.C. camera system mm-hmm. a week before the last inauguration. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, wow, that was impressive. On the other hand, super bad luck because now the world is paying, attention. is paying attention. And they got caught. They never would have gotten caught otherwise because the, they would have been going all mm-hmm. these sort of low-interest networks. Mm-hmm. So that's just an example. Now, I think things are changing. My last book was about this, mm-hmm. that a lot of what we're talking about is data. Right. When we start talking about things that actually hurt people, cars and medical devices, thermostats. I live in Minnesota, so I'm going to take over my thermostat in the winter. I can, my pipes can freeze. I can have a lot of property damage. Mm-hmm. That, that's going to change the security landscape because it'll be no longer about data. It'll be about life and property. Right. And I think changes are coming, regulatory changes, because of that.
1: That people can take over a thermostat or take over a car or that kind of stuff. That
2: cybersecurity doesn't mean your spreadsheet crashes and you lose your data. It means your embedded heart monitor crashes and you lose your right, life.
1: Right, right, That I, was, I that change. Was talking to someone who was like, someday Google will run your pancreas and then you don't pay them. And then they say, we're turning off your pancreas until you pay us. Kind of stuff.
2: It was fascinating. I was like, oh, I never thought of that. And, and that's actually not unreasonable. It, I know it, that. Right? I was be, you know, so yeah. so. You know, in addition to all these, you know, criminals. and so, we talk about nation states. I'd worry a lot about the corporate power. Right. That there's a lot of corporate power over our data, mm-hmm. and over uh, the, our ability to do things. I'm. I'm. In, uh, we're in Massachusetts now. There's a right to repair bill mm-hmm. that is go that is going to be on the. Uh, uh, next election, it'll mm-hmm. be voted for as a- uh... Find that, right
1: to repair. So
2: the notion is that we have a right to repair our stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you have a car and it breaks, you can open up the hood and take a wrench and do car things. I'm not a car guy, but presumably mm-hmm. people know how to do that stuff. As these things become computerized, there are license agreements about the software- That you're not allowed. That you're not allowed to repair your stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that seems counter to the way society works- and different states are trying to enact bills to give people the right to repair, to prohibit companies from denying you the right to repair your thing because of license agreements. Uh, John Deere is in a big battle with farmers mm-hmm. because farmers are used to repairing their tractors. That's right. one of the and things they do. they're highly computerized. And now they're—not that they don't have the skill to, they don't have the legal ability to, mm-hmm. that the license agreement from John Deere says you're not allowed— to look at the software and repair. And there actually is black market tractor software available on the internet for Mm -hmm. people who want to do this. Mm -hmm. And we want to make this legal. There's only two bills in Massachusetts, one general and one about automobiles specifically.
1: Right to be able to do this. To get people now, right we get to back on track, really, and then we're going to get to facial recognition. The other in the next part, um, but the, the distinguisher from cyber's to, from from internet security to cybersecurity. This is the military. Yeah, you are You're here. They're both in basically Harvard. the
2: same. They're, right. they're 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 different ways of looking at it. Cybersecurity was always a military term, and a little bit derided in the internet security community because mm-hmm. we are thinking more about people and communities. And cybersecurity is more about national security and governments and nation state actors. They've kind of merged at this point. They have. I mean, everyone's using the same tools, the same techniques, the same tactics. And you know, in some ways, it's surprising. And I remember 2014 October, the uh, attack against Sony. Mm-hmm. In my community, there's there's a a serious debate about whether this attack is perpetrated by. Uh, in a nuclear power with a $20 billion military budget, or a couple of guys in the basement somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that, in a sense, is extraordinary that you can't tell the difference. Whether it's the North Koreans or just or, or just random people. Mm-hmm. And that's true. A lot of these attacks we see, we don't know who does it. We, we can get good at attributing when, when we pay attention. Mm-hmm. The United States has... In the past few years, attributed attacks to Russian actors, to Chinese actors, North Korean actors, to Iranian actors. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's not known who did it. I mentioned the Marriott hack. Mm -hmm. We're pretty sure that was the Chinese. It's not possible. It could have been uh, uh, criminals. Office personnel management, we know, is the Chinese. Mm -hmm. The uh, DNC servers, we know, is the Russians. I mean, a lot of stuff we know. Mm -hmm. But there's a democratization of tactics that you don't see in conventional warfare.
1: Right. All right. We're going to talk about that when we get back because right now there's just – this was just in the news yesterday about this exact thing. We're here with Bruce Schneier. His most recent book is called Click Here to Kill Everybody, Security and Survival in a Hyperconnected World. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after
0: this. Support for Decoder comes from Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that you can use to build a website and help people find your ventures. Whether you're seeking a location for your podcast, teaching language courses, or selling handcrafted ceramics – Squarespace has all the tools you need to create a home on the web. You can create a polished, professional place that connects people with whatever it is you're excited about. Squarespace also supports all forms of connecting with those people, whether you're selling products online or in person, or offering memberships. You can make your website look exactly how you want it. They even have the tools to help you create a custom logo. And they make it easy to create a place for people to schedule an appointment with you, browse your services, or learn more about why you do what you do. Visit squarespace.com slash decoder for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code decoder to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for decoder comes from Notion. Winter is beginning to wind down and spring cleaning is just around the corner. In that spirit, it's time to declutter your digital workspace. For that, you might wanna check out Notion. Notion combines your notes, docs, and projects into one space that's simple and beautifully designed and the fully integrated Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger, doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. Personally, I use Notion to keep myself organized and to store all the information I need in one place. I've tried a lot of productivity apps over the years, and Notion is sleek, intuitive, and powerful. In particular, Notion has an AI feature called Q&A that allows you to search all of your notes by simply asking for what you're looking for. For me, that means old links to news stories, long lost notes to myself, and maybe even an old password to an account I might be trying to dig up. Seriously, give it a try. It's as easy as just asking a question. We all want to be sending less emails and tuning into less redundant meetings. And Notion could help you by automating tedious tasks, like managing and summarizing notes. It'll also help you save money on all those tools you won't need anymore with Notion's integration. Over half of Fortune 500 companies rely on Notion to simplify their workflow and you can join them. Try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash Nelai. That's all lowercase letters. Notion.com slash Nelai to try the powerful, easy-to-use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com slash Nelai.
1: We're here with Bruce Schneier. His most recent book is called Click Here to Kill Everybody. Why did you call it that? Like, talk about that. Like, I love that name. I, I think know.
2: it's the greatest title ever. It is the
1: greatest title ever. So, right, Except I like— Steal This Book, but go ahead. I mean,
2: steal This Book is a great title. That's yeah. true. I like evocative titles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of books in sort of a waterfall model. A mm-hmm. title gets you to read the subtitle. Yeah. Subtitle gets you to read the the, uh, the inside, jacket, stage, ja- yeah. inside Jacket copy. right. right and right, that gets you to right. read the book. So I want a title that makes you stop and say, what is that about? Right. But I'm trying to speak to something real the notion of class breaks being brought to the real world. Mm -hmm. And this has to do with the way things fail. Um, Think of cars. Cars Mm -hmm. have parts, uh, parts break, and we know how cars fail. In all of our communities, there are going to be these auto repair shops because there's a steady stream of broken cars. Computers do not fail that way. Mm -hmm. Computers all work perfectly until one day when none of them do. Mm -hmm. And that is a notion of a class break. That suddenly... Every copy of Windows is insecure, that all of your iPhones have a vulnerability. Right. That's an excellent point. And and these are now things that affect the world in a direct physical manner. So I'm worried about crashing all the cars, Mm -hmm. or more realistically, all the cars of one make and one model a year, Mm -hmm. that we can have these large-scale computer failures that affect the real world.
1: As opposed to, say, some screw on a tire coming off. Right, which
2: would just be one tire. Or maybe the cars have to be recalled because now there's a chance the screw will go loose. And we know Mm -hmm. that over the course of the year, we're going to make this up. Every four or five days, one of the cars will have a screw loose and somebody will crash. Not the same as all screws are now loose and get those cars off the road in the next 10 minutes, hurry.
1: Well, part of the appeal of it is that they all do work together. I mean, w- w- the on the flip side of that, someone was at Google. I just was recently telling me, look, when someone gets in a car, they were talking about self-driving cars. They said whenever when someone gets in a car accident, only that person learns if they learn at all. When a self-driving car gets or an autonomous car gets in an accident, all the cars learn. It's
2: and that's true. Thing. And and I, you know, I work in security, but I mm-hmm. I understand the upside of all these technologies. Yeah. I mean, these these are great technologies in the main. And they do an enormous amount of good for the world. Mm -hmm. But I tend to look at the downside. An example might be Amity Locks. So Mm -hmm. hotels nowadays, they often have keyless entry systems. You get a key card, you wave it in front of a reader. One of the companies that makes those locks is Amity. And a few years ago, a vulnerability was found in Amity Locks, such that if you didn't have the right key card, you could still break in. Mm -hmm. And the way you had to repair that was to go to every hotel room door manually and change uh, the ROMs and Mm -hmm. and change the code in in the lock. And hotels, by and large, never did it Mm -hmm. because their way, their mental model of way hotel locks fail is you have a locksmith on staff Every few weeks, someone can't get into their room, and you call the locksmith. Mm-hmm. Not that we have 400 hotel rooms, and they all have to be upgraded. Right. They're just not used to that failure. Mm-hmm. And that's that difference. That's the notion of a class break. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you're thinking about the idea of class breaks, it, it iterates everywhere in terms of what you're using, whether it's going to be sensors or cameras in a home or, or whatever, to all these products. How do you think of that differently, If this is how— this is the, these are architected that way, that they all break at the same time, or they all have one vulnerability means vulnerability for all of them.
2: Well, we, we have to think of, of different ways to fix them. I mean, if you think about your computers and your phones. Mm-hmm. The same is true for them. But there is this ecosystem of upgrade. So we don't know how to design secure software. Right. No idea. So instead, we are agile. So every
1: dealing with breaks? Dealing
2: with breaks. So if you have a Windows machine, second Tuesday every month, you get about 90 different security upgrades in that patch Tuesday. You're on a Windows machine, it happens more ad hoc, but we can quickly repair and improve security when we find vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And that works great. Mm -hmm. We've we've gotten a lot more security from that process. That doesn't exist for a lot of low-cost embedded systems. Right. Right. Those Omidy locks had no way to do that. Right. Uh, but a lot of these systems are designed offshore by third parties. Teams come together, write the code, disperse. They don't have the ability uh, for people to write patches. They don't have the engineers on staff. Mm-hmm. Even worse, a lot of these devices can't be patched. Right now, the way you patch your home router is you throw it away and buy a new one. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the mechanism. There isn't another one. Right. Now, that works. That, that's actually a, a recent decent mechanism. It's terrible for the environment, but it does get us security. But we expect our devices to last a lot longer. Mm -hmm. You think about your phones and your computers, you replace them every three to five years. And every time it is more secure, it's better designed, and it's a better object. The systems in our world have a longer lifespan. You're going to replace your digital video recorder every 10 years, your refrigerator every 25 years. Mm -hmm. I got a new home thermostat two years ago. I expect to replace it approximately never. Mm-hmm. And yet we're going to expect these devices to be on the internet for that long. Mm-hmm. Apple and Microsoft, they depreciate their old operating systems after like eight years because right. it's hard to maintain the old stuff. So, I don't know, imagine a car. You buy a car today, software is two years old. Let's say you buy it, drive for 10 years, sell it, somebody else buys it, they drive for 10 years, At that point, they sell it, and we're in the U.S., so somebody else buys it, puts it on a boat, sends it to Latin America, where someone else buys it, drives another 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the equivalent of taking a computer today from 1977, Mm -hmm. trying to turn it on, put it online, making it work, making it secure. We have no idea how to maintain 40-year-old consumer software. Right. And a lot of these are not going to be cars. They're going to be toys. They're going to be appliances, small appliances, internet gadgets, companies that are out of business where nobody knows Mm -hmm. what the code is, where they can't be maintained.
1: You know, it's so funny you say that years ago when Facebook was allowing all those third-party apps on Facebook, I kept saying, what if that goes out of business? What happens to the data that you have collected via Facebook?
2: And, and they were like, and what well, we know now is that's, that's, I know. I that's often sold it was as a an good asset. Question. Yeah, exactly. When that company out of business, Nobody does.
1: So, where do we find ourselves in that way? Because this is the way d- development is going now, right? It's sort of the develop and then junk and then move on to the next thing.
2: Well, some of it is, uh, is our consumer culture of develop and then junk. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of it is uh, the way technology, when it's just software, we iterate all the time. And and we're used to it when it's just software. Right. We're not used to it when it's integrated things, mm-hmm. when it's objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is the uh, our unwillingness to regulate technology at any level mm-hmm. has sort of given us this world where short-term corporate interests are the interests that govern all decisions. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, this is what you have.
1: Well, let's get into that. Talk about where you see regulation going, because now everybody's talking about regulation. And whenever I give speeches about this, everyone's like, well, what are the laws in place about technology? I'm like, there aren't any. There are, hardly, there are some very light regulations, and most of the regulations are pro-technology, such as Section 230 or whatever. A lot of them are facilitate development of technology. But in general, there aren't any laws. There's one—there's a few privacy bills scattered around the world. There's one in California. But otherwise, it's pretty light compared to most industries that are regulated in our society, like finance, chemicals, cigarettes, cars, things like
2: that. So the U.S. especially, there's almost none. And some of it is because the industry was so new, Mm -hmm. because it was so complicated. No one knew how to regulate it Mm -hmm. because it was so valuable. Right, People who are afraid to touch. To, to, to touch the innovation. This enormous uh, right. commerce engine that generates so much value for for society. Some of it is the fact that it didn't matter, that this is a word processor. This is a photo app. And these things became part of our society infrastructure sort of slowly through the back door. Mm-hmm. So, automobiles are regulated. Medical devices are regulated but now that oh, exactly. those are computers mm-hmm. existing regulations are are pushing down so airplanes automobiles medical devices they're all regulating the computer aspects mm-hmm. of those things uh, consumer devices not so much that's probably going to change as we start seeing more toys and and small so appliances what are the regulations
1: you think need to happen
2: so i, I think we need basic consumer protection regulations mm-hmm. So it's a combination of things. I should I, let me, let me sort of let, let me sort of step back a little. There's the security aspect. There's yeah, the privacy and, and aspect, it's, and it's never one thing, right? So software has been long excluded from normal product liability laws, which like makes no sense. So just making software more in line with everything else—that if a product is defective, the victims of that defective nature can sue. Mm-hmm. We I think we need more consumer protection rules like we have in any other industry. I think we need product safety rules. If Ford made a car that as a side effect of driving around the country would destroy democracy, mm-hmm. they would not be allowed to sell that car. <laughs> and they couldn't say things like, right, yeah, I don't know. Right, or maybe, it had, maybe it had signs on the side. I'm not it making this up. It might look like Elon Musk's new <laughs> truck. And the notion that a company can say, wait, our product is harmful, but if you tell us to make it not harmful, we won't be profitable. It's just not a valid argument mm-hmm. in any other aspect of society mm-hmm. other than software right now. So I think bringing software in line with everything else would make a lot of sense. Okay. We are missing both proscriptive requirements And we're starting to see some of this. California has a new law coming into force in January for Internet of Things. That one of the things it says is no default passwords. Mm -hmm. And that is basic consumer protection. Right. Now, that is like on the list of 100 things we have to do, that's one of them. But at least it's one of them. Right. And the fact that it took us that long to get there sort of shows how far we need to go. But government is— Oddly enough,
1: I just had a Schlage lock, and they had a default. I'm like, why does this here at all? Well, that's a default password. I'm like, Why? I was like, it shouldn't have a default password because most people don't change it. And it was like, I, it was the longest argument with the installers. And I was like, do you understand why this is a problem? Like, anyway, but go ahead. Is a
2: physical lock. Yeah. The well, physical it? locks f- forever came with the the basic password.
1: No, I, right. This was an electronic lock. Electronic
2: lock, lock yeah, right. you yeah. think would have a unique password. Right. Now, I think most padlocks you buy the... One, two, three, four, or something like that. No, I don't don't remember. But what a padlock. Zero, 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 zero. There there have been ones that, and you're supposed to change them. Some, like the masters, do have a random one. They do. And it's written on the package. It
1: is, but they're random.
2: They are random. But you're right. Most people will not change the default. Right. And we just have to accept that and, and, you know, make it so we protect the consumer from themselves, Mm -hmm. like we do in so many other aspects. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, what is the... uh, the example that don't
1: eat that tainted meat. Go ahead, but go.
2: Sorry. The example Elizabeth Warren uh, used when she talked about financial regulation mm-hmm. that it is illegal to sell you a toaster mm-hmm. that will catch on fire. Right. right. That we can't sell you that. Mm-hmm yet we can sell you a financial product that would metaphorically catch on fire. Mm-hmm. We can sell you software that will metaphorically catch on mm-hmm. fire. And we kind of need to fix those so things.
1: where is that right now? Where where are those? Who's pushing for these things?
2: Not There's not much. I mean, I tend to look towards Europe, mm-hmm. who really is the regulatory superpower on the planet right now, mm-hmm. and to the states, specifically California, New York, and Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. No appetite in the federal government, not just because uh, – The federal government is pretty dysfunctional right now, but in general, there is not an appetite to regulate the tech industry. It's just too powerful Mm -hmm. and and too valuable.
1: Do you think that's changed?
2: I think it is changing. I think the uh, social media and democracy is starting to change things, but it's only changing things in the perceptions of people. Has it changed things in the perceptions of rich people Mm -hmm. before the U.S. government notices? So I really, if we want change, I think it's going to be coming out of Europe first, And the neat thing about technology is that it's right one cell everywhere. Right. right now, the car you buy in the United States is not the same car you buy in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Environmental laws are different, and the manufacturers tune their engines. Right. But the Facebook you get in the United States is the exact same Facebook you get in Mexico Mm -hmm. because it's easier. So California has a law coming into force in January, no default passwords. Mm -hmm. The maker of a thermostat is going to change their software to meet California law They're not going to sell two versions, one for California, one the rest of us. We will all benefit from that law. Mm -hmm. Similarly, Europe has GDPR, a big privacy law, and a lot of us not in Europe benefit from that. Mm -hmm. I used to work for IBM. They made a decision early on that they would implement GDPR worldwide because it was easier and cheaper to do that than to figure out who a European citizen was. And I think it's a really interesting feature of software that will benefit us, that well-written regulations in any large enough market mm-hmm. move like the whole world. California or Europe or any California, Europe. Europe, right. The U.K. even will move the whole world. So when you think about
1: this is moving through, that means a very slow version of public policy and not led by the country where these companies started
2: from I think, a federal point I of think view. that's what we're stuck with. Right. I just don't see the U.S. government having an appetite to do this anytime soon. We might see some movement in the judiciary
1: Mm
2: -hmm. where uh, court cases, I think, will put this industry in line. We're seeing some movement in some of the federal agencies. I mentioned uh, the FAA with aircrafts, Department of Transportation with automobiles, Mm -hmm. whoever regulates medical devices. I'm blanking on their name. FDA. FDA. FDA, right? The Federal Trade Commission. Yes, the FTC. Is doing a lot with consumer protection, although their mandates are a little weird. There are things they can do about unfair and deceptive trade practices. Mm-hmm. So we, are, I think, we are going to see some push there. But primarily, I am looking to Europe and to some of the states. It's uh, New York is trying to regulate cryptocurrencies. California has a data privacy law and now Internet of Things law. Massachusetts is is pushing some things. We see digital right to repair. But that
1: creates a real problem in that they're all different. That for these companies, too, in terms of they're all different. So they just
2: have to pick the one that's most powerful or the most stringent. You know, but countries are already doing that. I mean, yes, it's a problem. It would be nice to have harmony. But the big worry about national laws that preempt state laws and the reason a lot of the tech companies push them is they know they're going to be lousy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It is much easier to have a lousy federal law than to have a few good state laws. Right. And companies will scream that they can't meet everything in order to try to get that watered down federal law. So be careful about the complaints. I mean, yes, it's a problem, Mm -hmm. but Industries have been doing this since forever. Right, on every other thing. Every on every other account. thing. And, yeah. you know, it's it's been working it okay. It's interesting
1: the mentality that this should not be regulated given that every other major industry has been.
2: It's hard to regulate. I mean, I, I'm not going to say mm-hmm. this is easy. This is a very fast moving industry. And I think we need to figure out, we don't actually know how to legislate in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. You know, someone invents, oh, I don't know, the telephone, you know, 100 years ago, and it takes 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm before it permeates society for us to figure out the law of the telephone. Mm -hmm. Someone invents a drone, and I remember this. There were the years we said we can't regulate drones. It's too early. You'll destroy the industry. Then suddenly everyone gets one for Christmas And then it's too late to (laughs) regulate drones. They're everywhere with no intervening middle ground. We have to do better than that. Right. All right. When we get back, we're talking with Bruce
1: Schneier. His most recent book is called Click Here to Kill Everybody, Security and Survival in the Hyperconnected World. When we get back, we're going to talk about some coming technologies that also are probably not going to be regulated and what we need to do. Uh, He is a well-known techie, I guess, on lots of areas, but he's focusing on the public interest now here at Harvard.
0: Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Do you want a career that meets you where you are and takes you where you wanna go? Whatever your individual ambitions, motivations, and skills may be, discover your potential at Deloitte. Right along with purpose-driven teams and a difference-making culture, Be seen for who you are and celebrated for what you bring. Discover your impact at Deloitte. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash US slash Discover Careers.
1: We're here with Bruce Schneier. He's the author of Click Here to Kill Everybody, Security and Survival in the Hyperconnected World. He's also a fellow at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard Law School, and he's big in cryptocurrency, security researcher, all kinds of stuff. Talk a little bit about what's coming next, some of the technologies you're focused on of the next quantum. I'm going to go through them. First, let me – actually, I'm going to start with facial recognition. Where are we with facial recognition, and where should we be? What should we be focused on? So, facial
2: recognition, I think, is really interesting in technology because you really can't separate the tech from its uses. hmm In all these technologies, we're pretty good getting better every year. I mean, we all know how tech works, mm-hmm. that every year it gets better. Sure. And there are two kinds of facial recognition. There is the one you use if you have a new iPhone. Mm -hmm. And that is is answering the question, is this the person I think it is? Is this Kara Swisher's phone? Mm -hmm. The other type of facial recognition is, who is this? And that's the kind you might see deployed uh, by the police in the United States, in Hong Kong, in stadiums. Yeah, That's and is this tr- a dangerous person? or well, to say, well, it's it's two questions. Who is this? Because once you know who it is, right. then you go back to your de- database and you make whatever decision you might right. want to make. If you right. are a department store, you might decide to uh, give them better customer service or mm-hmm. worse customer service. Right. If you are a police department, you might decide to arrest them or not. Right? It really depends on, on where it's being deployed. Mm-hmm. These are technologies of ubiquitous surveillance. Now, that might be a good thing in some circumstances. Right,
1: just as being recognized, getting on a plane, it might be faster, easier, that kind of thing.
2: But these are technologies that allow a level of surveillance that just isn't possible because they replace human eyes. I mean, we can always recognize people in public. That's not nothing new. Mm -hmm. But to have a million cameras in the city of London, all of whom can recognize everyone in public all the time, Mm -hmm. allows the people who control those cameras to map where people are in a way they haven't done before. Sure. Now, I think it's real important we separate the technologies from the uses. We spend a lot of time talking about these technologies as different things. I don't want to say this. It's, facial recognition allows to identify people. So do many other things. Right? Every one of us carries the most exquisite surveillance device ever invented yeah. in our pockets every day. Right. It's our phone. Right.
1: It follows us around. It and, knows and it, it
2: knows ping, where ping, we are ping, where ping. we are at all times, right. knows who we're with, knows when we go to sleep, when we wake up. You know, no one ever lies to their search engine. Mm-hmm. It knows more about us than our intimates. Right. And facial recognition is another one of these technologies. And there, are, there's gait recognition. There's uh, fingerprint recognition at a distance, eye scanning. I mean, so many re- technologies of identification. And really step back and think, what does it mean for someone to be identified throughout their day, throughout their life as they move through society? First question to ask is, whose owns that data? Right? The data from your phone is owned by the phone company, by whatever apps you've given permission to access your GPS. Mm-hmm. The data from the cameras is owned by whatever private companies are running those cameras, whatever government's running those cameras. Very much the power dynamic. who has access to that data, and we're moving to a world where in general, the notion of ephemera is disappearing, right you know, already a, a really many of my intimate conversations happen over text. Mm-hmm. no longer happen over voice, no longer happen in person, mm-hmm. where the words are said and dissipate. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know about you, but I'm willing to bet that my relationship will not be improved by being able to go back and read the transcript of five-year-old arguments to know that I was right. Right? <laughs> I think there's a lot of human value. In forgetting. In forgetting. And I think we're going to lose that. You know that. who doesn't text? Donald Trump. It's, uh, you know. Only phone. Texting is dangerous. Because right. texting leaves an audit trail.
1: hmm
2: And, I mean, and a, a, a lot of journalists will not text with sources for the same reason. Yeah. And a lot of dissidents Will not. Mm-hmm. But a lot will because we as humans need to communicate. Right.
1: So facial recognition, where are we in terms of regulation? We aren't at all, right? It's there's, the no,
2: there's no regulation. Right. And, and uh, it's full of errors. It's full of errors. It's full of biases. Mm-hmm. You know, these are likely to shake out over the years and, and you know, maybe decades. Yeah, it's decade. my fear
1: that it's not going to be a lot of errors. It's going to be very good at what it
2: does. That's right. And, and that's the worry. And, right. and now this depends. The errors depend on the use. Now, if I'm misrecognized as I'm walking by a billboard, they show me an ad for a Chevy I don't want to buy. Mm -hmm. If I'm misrecognized, you know... Crossing the street or... Not crossing the street. Think of me in Afghanistan. someone stops a drone on my house. Right. So, right, the cost of the error depends a lot Mm -hmm. on who you are, uh, how much power you have, whether you're marginalized in society. And disproportionately... The uh, mistakes fall on 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 the the unempowered.
1: So who should be regulating this? The government should be. Regulating.
2: Government should be regulating this, but unfortunately, the government also is using this. And, right, and we see this even with something uh, this another technology of just Facebook advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love if the government regulates with Facebook advertising, but every politician who uses it says, "Whoa, neat! That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I want that forever." Behavioral targeting, and they don't want to regulate that because right. they want to use it too. Right, because in right. a sense. Politics is the same as any other well, kind let's of Let's talk about that
1: behavioral tracking. That's another one. The, the ability to track you based on your behavior, your con- and which will be girded by facial recognition because it will see you as you move through the world. Facial
2: recognition and other things as well. And mm-hmm. and again, there's, there's still a lot of errors here. But the basic idea is that we can look for... Certain kinds of behavior, right? Someone standing when they should be moving. Someone moving when they should be standing. Someone who looks suspicious is wearing Mm -hmm. the wrong clothing for the weather. I mean, we can make up all these behavioral characteristics. And, yes, I mean, your question is perfectly reasonable. You know, what are the error rates? Mm -hmm. Who does it disproportionately fall upon? Mm -hmm. And and how well do these systems work? Sometimes you don't care. You're a country like China. You get a high error rate. You kind of don't care. Mm-hmm. Your half of your aim is to cause terror in the population. So, you know, a few errors actually make your system work better for mm-hmm. that intended purpose.
1: All right. So, then when you get to that, quantum computing. All right. These new Google things.
2: Right. Quantum computing, uh, everyone should calm down. All right. Good. All right. OK. So, this is going to be uh, maybe a little more mathy than you want, but I'll Go try, right ahead. I'll try Go to. It's a little more mathy. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll try to stay on top. It's basically a new way of doing computing. Mm-hmm. That is not constrained by some of the linear constraints of our normal computers. Very experimental, and it has the potential to solve problems that can't be solved by mm-hmm. conventional computers. Any any human length of time, and two of the big problems are problems that we use in cryptography to keep things secure. So you hear people talk about the cryptography apocalypse. Yeah, I think it's I've overblown. Really gotten twenty six. No, oh, it's super overblown. That's uh, what I'm asking you, okay. Bruce. So, so a couple of things. One is that we are already working on quantum-resistant cryptography. Mm-hmm. NIST has a program in it. We have algorithms. We will have algorithms that will resist quantum computers before we have working quantum computers mm-hmm. that can solve the, that can actually solve these problems at, at any real scale. The challenges to a quantum computer that can solve serious problems are significant. And it's hard to surmount those. And we truly don't know if by hard we mean go to the moon hard or faster than light travel hard. Mm-hmm. It could be either. Right. So we could have a quantum computer that can solve real problems in a decade or or more, or we could have it never, and we don't know. My guess is a decade or more. My guess is these problems are what solvable. What do you mean have it never? Just- that if it's faster than light travel hard, mm-hmm. we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. That'll it forever be science fiction. Right. And these are problems with coherence. Basically, the problem is how to get the data out of a quantum computer to read it, mm-hmm. that, that the answer will decay so quickly and that it's quantum, of course, like measuring it destroys it, You mm-hmm. have that sort of problem. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of companies are working on this. There are uh, quantum scientists who agree with me, who disagree with me. There's no – we don't know.
1: What What is the problems it solves for the layperson?
2: What is the it, it, big deal here? The, the, lay, uh, the problems it solves are optimization problems and search problems. Mm-hmm. So if you want to figure out the traveling salesman problem, mm-hmm. so you have 50 cities in your territory, you need to visit them all, what is the shortest driving path that will get you to all of them? Mm-hmm. That's actually a really hard problem. It is. It's easy to get a good one, but to get the best one, is super hard. Right. A quantum computer can solve that easily. Someone
1: was telling me self-driving cars is a perfect example. I don't think
2: self-driving cars is a problem. Well, in that terms
1: a, of keeping them all with each other. I, see, I don't
2: think so, because you I don't, don't mean- need the best answer. You just need a good answer. Mm-hmm. And if y- you can get an answer that's 1% better for 10 times the money, no one's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So it really is times you need the perfect answer. Mm-hmm. And, and breaking encryption is one of them. That's why you had the NSA, even as early as 2014, you saw it in the Snowden documents, mm-hmm. had a budget for quantum computing because mm-hmm. they saw the cryptographic benefits of it. Right. But I don't see a quantum arms race. I don't see a quantum apocalypse. Mm-hmm. We will figure out cryptography before the quantum computers. And and I don't think that's controversial. What about AI. AI is going to be interesting to watch, Mm -hmm. right? AI is very nonlinear. AI, easy problems turn out to be hard. Hard problems out to be easy. When I was a student, we learned that Go, the game, Mm -hmm. would never be solved by a quantum computer because it was computationally infeasible, blew up too fast. And that was true until Google says, oh, yeah, we did that last month because we were bored. Mm -hmm. And now Go can be solved by by a uh, machine learning. Right. And if you play Go... Uh, anyone listening who plays Go, I recommend game.
1: going to
2: going to look at some of the Go games played mm-hmm. by AlphaGo. And the way it learned is it learned the rules of Go, then got every human game, Go of game ever recorded, learned from those. Then it played itself for a gazillion times and got really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it plays Go phenomenally well. Right. Then Google did another experiment. They didn't feed the new program any human Go games mm-hmm. and said, figure it out yourself. And that program plays Go like an alien. It's really fascinating. It makes mm-hmm. moves that a human would never make. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really a, a way to think about the future of AI. It'll mm. do things we don't imagine in ways that'll be completely strange. Some things that we think are impossible will be done. Some things that we think are easy... It's going to be very, very hard and not be done. It's very hard to predict. In security, we'll have, you know, AIs attacking, defending. We don't know who will have the advantage. Right. And again, this is going to be a, a thing about power. I don't see a data race. You'll see... A U.S.-China story, that because China spies on its people more, they have more data to train their AIs. I think that's largely nonsense. Okay, tell me why. It's not about the amount of data. It's about the type of data and how it's used. Mm -hmm. And the open science of how to use data is really where the work is, Mm -hmm. and not the, I have a big data set of you know, People going to Chinese schools, citizens going to school on. that I can right. use. That, that, that's right. not going to separate mm-hmm. the the AIs from each other. Mm-hmm. It's going to be how they're built. And a lot of this is being built in the open. This, the this, open. Is, this is public science. Right.
1: Okay. So the idea of that, this is an argument I get from Silicon Valley a lot. We have to be doing this because the Chinese will beat us with their giant. Yeah, I think they data. just want to
2: spy on us, and that's a good excuse right now.
1: <laughs> Ooh, the Chinese? Yeah. No,
2: they, well, the Chinese, but, but also it's, Silicon Valley.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. We need to be this big so that we can fight them. Yeah, I, I call it the she or me argument.
2: Yeah, I I don't I don't buy it. I, I mean I think we're are at the point where the companies are too big, uh-huh. and uh, a lot of our problem is the fact that these are all monopolies.
1: I want to get to that last, but uh, robotics and automation.
2: From a security perspective, I think these are also really interesting, mm-hmm. and and it's definitely automation's the right word. Mm-hmm. It's automation, autonomy, and physical agency. Right. Those are the things that I, I think about, mm-hmm. and robotics really epitomizes all of them. Right. And it's going to be things in our world doing stuff and things that have all the computer flaws that we're used to, Mm -hmm. all of the vulnerabilities we're used to that are going to be doing things and things that are increasingly critical, increasingly life-critical. Right. and and these the, these are aspects I worry about and again this is, this goes back to my, the title of my book click here to kill everybody that right because they
1: all can be told to do
2: one thing right we, we, we've seen people program Roombas, I mean this is still academic exercise mm-hmm. to follow people around and try to trip them
1: I mean, you know <laughs> I, I, I get one of those
2: you kind of laugh <laughs> but I didn't know you people did that, but of course you do. Of course that you makes, do, because yeah, yeah. it's the Internet. People are haters. That's okay. the way things work.
1: <laughs> I want one of those. No, please send me a room the trips people. All right, so robotics, but in terms of the, the fail points is what you're talking about, the, the, that there's multiple points of failure here.
2: Right, and, and I worry about who who owns the data, the data mm-hmm. back to surveillance capitalism. Maybe mm-hmm. I mean, these robots will collect enormous amount of data about us and right. who's going to own that data, what happen to that data. I worry about who's going to control those robots. You talked a little about the right to repair. Mm-hmm. If that robot is owned by, by Google, by John Deere, by, mm-hmm. by a company, that you might not have the ability to, to, change to, to change it. We're seeing that in medical devices. There are uh, patients who are trying to get access to their automatic uh, blood insulin level data, which is being collected by these the computerized yeah, systems. Sure. And a company owns that data. And it's right. like, it's my body. Why right. is it my data?
1: What about uh, humans becoming more robotic rather than robots becoming more
2: human? Yeah, I don't follow the sort of body augmentation. Ex- yeah. I think I think we sort of see the harbingers of that when we think about our devices. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a lot of ways, our phones and computers are extensions of us. Right. My, my email is my offline brain. There are things that I remember because I know it's there and I go get at it. Right. I mean, a lot of us really can't function mm-hmm. without the calendars and, right. and and the internet and email and messaging. And it'll be those same type of things, more integrated. I don't follow body augmentation mm-hmm. or any of that sort of thing. Again, I worry about the software, about who right. controls it, whether it can be taken over. I don't want to have robotic legs and suddenly, you know, some hacker from sub-Saharan Africa is walking me around and now there's ransomware against my legs. Mm -hmm. I mean, this – and this is not unreasonable.
1: It's not. It's not. I just think that's kind of a fascinating idea. It's true, though. It's not unreasonable whatsoever.
2: No, we've seen – we've seen demo ransomware against cars.
1: So, lastly, the power of these companies. I want to finish up talking about that. One of the arguments I hear a lot in Zilema is we need to be this big, as I said, in order to combat all these problems that you just talked about. What is the dangers of this size? To me, it's the one, ownership of the, the information and who gets to make decisions about that. Two, it's that there's no way once they get that big and they get into monopolies, you can fight them. Even the government can fight them. And three, it's innovation dies when you have that.
2: So I think it's all of those things. I mean, a lot of it is the generic problems of monopoly that we've known for decades and just forgot since the 80s, mm-hmm. that monopoly stifles innovation. That monopoly leads to complacency. That monopoly just leads to substandard outcomes where we're paying more and getting less. Mm-hmm. And you know we're now in a world where really, the vanguard of capitalism is and competition is in Europe and not in mm-hmm. the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, they pay much less for, see, even things as simple as internet access because they have actual competition and 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 we don't. and And I think you lose a lot when you have a, a monopoly. And these tech monopolies, are hurting us in many ways. And even something as simple as forcing Facebook to open up their API mm-hmm. for compatible apps would go an enormous way towards fixing all the problems Facebook is yep. having yep. with their platforms and, and, and society. The, we have to be big, this big to fight these threats. Makes no sense. I think a diversity mm-hmm. is better at fighting these threats. Mm-hmm.
1: And in the next, given that situation, because all these companies are American companies, is this where the next internet age is? If you had to look around where innovation is coming from? Because to me, that's what will dominate. Like people talk about Facebook or whatever, or or any of these companies. And to me, you see it over and over again the same thing as the replacement of, of these. Where do you imagine innovation is coming from right now? Or how do you push it as a country, in this country at least?
2: I think innovation is still coming around the edges. I mean Facebook and Google are still buying companies left and right mm-hmm. that might out innovate them right I mean they' they're they're still accreting mm-hmm. Apple as well. so I mean you are still seeing a lot of innovation I, I think the the innovation can be helped by keeping things open by by getting rid of the monopoly behavior mm-hmm. I mean, Even something as simple as as net neutrality. Mm-hmm. To stop a monopoly in one area from finging on another area, there's an enormous amount for innovation. I don't think we see a lot of innovation in social media right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's no point. Right. You'll never get a, a yeah, competitor just, Facebook Facebook uh, right. funded. No. It makes just, no sense. I just talk to a big VC. And, 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 we, and we want those. Mm-hmm. We, we would like competition. I think it would keep Facebook honest. Mm-hmm. I think we'd all benefit. But as long as Facebook is allowed to be as big as it is and buy whatever it wants you just never have so that kind what of do we do
1: what are your solutions give me three solutions that we need to do right away in the short term maybe middle term and
2: long term so I think going after the monopolies would be an enormous breaking them up breaking them up and i I, well, I think you know, we have Elizabeth to do born. that yeah and I think I'd do that for I mean I think it's better for society in almost every possible way I don't mm-hmm. even think it's bad for the tech companies mm-hmm. I don't think Mark zuckerberg yeah, you create more if he has you know right if he has Majority interest in 17 companies instead of one, I don't think he's worse off. I think he's going to be better off. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure why he's not embracing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to get government serious about regulating technology. That the missing ingredient in the way the market is supposed to work is the well regulated part. Mm-hmm. And that is harming all of us, including the companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole point of regulation is to establish a playing field in which the market can operate. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that, the market doesn't operate efficiently and doesn't operate well. And I think the companies are are hurting because of that. And they might have more near-term profits, but it's not going to last. Okay. So I think – and these are all very, very general things. Right. And I think we need to really get serious about international – Agreements and norms and way to think about cyber conflict and the way the governments use uh, the internet and cyberspace. Very long-term, very nebulous. A lot of talk about cyber war, not a lot of talk about cyber peace, Mm -hmm. but flipping that would be nice. And these are kind of decades-long processes, slow and iterative. You know, I work at the uh, at the Harvard Kennedy School, and they are still working on nuclear deterrence, right? You, you think they, <laughs> they, they, have, they haven't even licked that yet. But, right, you know, right. we do a lot better than we were decades ago. Right. And whether it's nuclear really or small point. arms or human trafficking mm-hmm. or bribery or, you know, we sort of know how to do this, mm-hmm. even in an international world where there are pariah countries. Mm-hmm. And the more we can do that— Uh, on the internet, the better. The internet is global. The internet affects everything. It is critical infrastructure for the planet. Mm -hmm. It has ramifications in human rights, in climate change, in everything that matters in this century.
1: Right, absolutely.
2: And if we don't get it right, it's going to be real bad. So
1: let me end on this. This election's coming up. How do you feel about the security of our systems compared to last election?
2: I don't think we're we're any better. Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll separate two things. I'll separate voting security, mm-hmm. which is security of the machines and the systems. Actually, it's several things. It's the election rolls who can vote. It's the machines, whether the vote is mm-hmm. accurate. It's right. the tabulation systems, and it's the reporting systems. Right. All of those have vulnerabilities, and they have not been addressed. Mm-hmm. And I'm very worried about election security. Right, the rolls. Right. The- and then there's the security of the greater election process, mm-hmm. and that's— uh, propaganda, disinformation, both foreign and domestic. Uh, I think you looked at the last election in uh, governor of Kentucky. You saw an example of what's going to happen mm-hmm. in uh, two years from now or next year, whenever it's going to, I forget when the election is, that uh, you had, and this was all nothing, you can tell nothing was uh, foreign influenced, but memes are going around, election was stolen and 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 suddenly there's all of this, sure. f- all of Distort. this fake news. I hate, I hate mm-hmm. the term, but, but that's what it is out there that's being pushed by domestic actors with an agenda. And uh, Facebook and Google do not have a good handle on this. Twitter doesn't. I think uh, the things we're seeing in in Brazil and India, where a lot of this move to some of the messaging apps, to WhatsApp, to uh, direct messaging Mm -hmm. from uh, Facebook and the social media is what's going to happen in the United States. And I think we have to worry about these fake... Issues and agendas hijacking the real agenda. I think the mass media, the, the New York Times, is, haven't owned up to their, uh, to their part in 2016. Mm-hmm. I mean, Facebook might have done some pretty bad things, but at least they said, we did this, and we're going to try to do better. I don't think the uh, the mainstream media has really acknowledged their role and how they were played by the Russians, how they're going to do better. Mm-hmm. So I, I do worry about this at all levels. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. All right, Bruce. What's one positive thing about technology right now? What's your most favorite thing that you've seen?
2: I, you know, I might sound like a downer, but I think technology is mostly good. Is almost entirely good. Yeah. I mean, we're spending our time talking about the fringes, and as a security researcher, it's real easy mm-hmm. to to think yeah. that everything is bad. But I am well, just one as, nuclear bomb can ruin your day. One can <laughs> ruin your day. But you know, one nuclear power plant mm-hmm. can you know save a whole lot of fossil fuel burning. Right. And there are a lot more nuclear power plants that have done that than nuclear bombs that have gone off. Mm-hmm. So by and large, like all technologies, I think we're doing really well. It's, it's, we're worried about the edge cases. We're worried about the, the fringe uses. We just don't want them to take over the whole.
1: Right. Right, and please, I hope there's nothing you can click to kill everybody. Not yet. Not yet. Let's hope not. Anyway, thank you so much for coming by the show, Bruce. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Bruce, where can people find you online?
2: So I am on uh, Schneier.com. dot uh, I do tweet. Actually, I, I mostly blog, and uh, my t- I have a Twitter Great feed, blog. Schneier Blog, that yeah. uh, mirrors my blog. And so, Schneier.com is where to go for my books, my writing, everything I've done. Is There's there.
1: also something called Schneier Facts. He hates them, but I love them. Uh, It goes, Bruce Schneier doesn't use Tor. He just accesses your site.
2: All right. So this is a series of dorky math and security jokes that I have nothing to do with using my name. And they are pretty funny. pictures of
1: you in a a, a thing. It's quite funny. They're all math jokes, but they're very, very funny about security and other things. So anywhere else they can find you?
2: That's where where I am. Okay. All right. Other than that, I'm keeping it it low profile. Yeah. I
1: love the blog. It's really great. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our newest podcast, Reset. Just search for it in your podcasting app of choice or tap the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to WHRB at Harvard University for hosting us. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip?